Welcome to Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed, a podcast that explores ways to transform your business and marketing strategy. Whether you're a rising star, entrepreneur, or experienced professional, a show packed with stories to inspire success and build a growth mindset for you and your company. Featuring global brand CMOs, transformation experts, and business founders, your co-hosts, Chris Lawson in London, UK, and Samuel Moni across the pond in Philadelphia, USA. Welcome to episode 35 of Across the Pond, Marketing Transformed. My name's Chris Lawson in London, UK, and I'm joined from Philadelphia on the east coast of USA by Samuel Moni. Say hello, Sam. Hey, Chris. How are you doing this week, sir? Good. Yeah, very well, actually. Um, Excellent. Uh, nice nice mix of uh, work, um, stuck at home, but actually uh, everything seems to be going all right and uh, getting out for a bit of a... Um, sort of uh, exercise now and again. So yeah, all good. Excellent. Well, we're talking things work-life balance this week and how it all comes together, I believe. <laughs> Absolutely. And and last week we talked about leadership and how leaders had to adapt quickly and that one of the most critical parts of leadership is bringing everyone together. And and that's, that's difficult when to bring everyone together when you're working remotely. Uh, interestingly, I'm working at the moment with one CEO, um, who's joined on day three of lockdown. I'm working with another CEO who relished the opportunity to be in the office around the team. Certainly saw that as what made them tick, that interaction. And and also I'm seeing junior managers promoted into new roles or starting new roles, finding it difficult to define their new management persona. And, and out of sight, out of mind, I think is a real issue, Sam, when everyone's mm. remote. So we're going to we're going to explore how to overcome this and discuss what the work environment will need to look like and how that will stimulate growth and creativity. Um, and, and we'll do that as the world works out how to get us back to work and what that really means. What does back to work really mean for the future? Mm. We're, we're also going to look at what we can learn from those countries and companies who work remotely as a matter of course. Um, I mean, did you know, Sam, Germany has the highest number of remote workers. I was a bit surprised at that. I think wow. US is number four, I believe. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Um, and we're going to see what we can learn from those uh, countries and companies that haven't seen any drop-off in terms of productivity as well. But interestingly, most CEO in trays is going to have pretty close to the top office space what do we need and what are our options? And most junior managers are going to be questioning whether they like the new way of working and how do you stimulate the team? I think there's a lot of people that have got quite used to sort of remote working. Mm. And and it's interesting that uh, even before sort of COVID-19, there was a Stanford professor and he's one of many that was talking about well, the workplace is killing people and nobody cares, uh, a gentleman called Jeffrey um, Pfeiffer a professor of organizational behavior at Stanford Graduate School. And uh, interestingly, within that article, um, he's sort of talking about how stress is so critical um, and how CEOs are the cause of a healthcare crisis because they're the source of stress. Hmm. Stress causes chronic disease. Chronic disease is uh, an enormous burden on the healthcare costs now. That's clearly in the US. But I think it really shows that Stress holds great presence in the workplace and, and it must change. Um, Post-COVID-19, employees should look to make effective change. So 
if remote working is increasing and no one cares from a workplace perspective, where, where does that leave us, Sam? Oh, all good points there, Chris. And it's a bit sad, I think, saddening to hear that no one cares. And the data on the research on how toxic and how disruptive it, it is, is, is quite worrying. And equally, there are some bright spots. But if you look at some work recently, I know it's changing on a real-time basis, but um, a woman called Kate Lister, who's president of a firm called Global Workplace Analytics, her prediction is that 30% of people will work from home multiple days per week within a couple of years. So this shift and the different sort of percentages across c- countries and cultures is likely to increase for those jobs that you can do remotely, obviously, if you're um, in a manufacturing business or uh, transportation or other industries, or you, you can't work remotely. So we we are really talking about more of those other types of professions where you can. But a toxic or negative workplace culture won't get any, get any better in this environment because the technology itself won't and can't really overcome the barriers in terms of communication, ways of working, power dynamics and management capabilities. All of those skills that you need for for them to work well are are still fundamental. Uh, And I recall in the former employer, the adoption of uh, the Workplace by Facebook platform, which is their Facebook for work type product Mm -hmm. for those who haven't experienced it, which was initially actually resisted by IT, which was an interesting one. It was led by the communications team and leadership were quite reticent to participate in it. And it was a perhaps more traditional hierarchical company. And I, you won't be surprised, was an early adopter. And it was an interesting experience where there was some sort of, I think, sneering and sniggering. Why why are you doing it? Why are you commenting and uploading videos and content and sharing what you're up to? But it was actually tough to get leaders on board. But slowly, but surely they actually did and they could see the value. And I think that type of communication became a more regular cadence, a regular build. And people actually saw the value of communicating in, in different modes and different ways. And from from as we look forward and look to today and the future, there's absolutely no doubt that remote working is going to be relabeled and it's probably going to be re-understood as distributed working, which is kind of a different philosophy. So it's not that we're remote from a center. There is no center. We're distributed in a in a dynamic way. And people who are able to perhaps work closer to where they live or perhaps gather in smaller hubs or working in smaller collectives, potentially, they might only need to meet up on a quarterly or biannually or even an annual basis, uh, an all hands type set set up or all hands type meeting. Um, And the headquarters, the corporate headquarters or the single headquarters could be more of like a luxury, some sort of status symbol that may happen because a lot of companies are already treating that in that way and shifting to a new dynamic. Yeah, that, that I mean, that's really interesting. It almost mirrors retail in a way where you sort of uh, the physical presence becomes mm. the experiential part rather than the actual sort of delivery part. And but it but you know, cynically, it also reminds me way back in the day, 1999 as well, a long time ago, but where flexible working was mm-hmm. was the buzzword of the time. I, I was working for BT, a telco at that point in time obviously already thinking they were uh, about sort of five years, six years ahead. And they had this this remote network of sort of satellite offices. You could go and work in whichever office you want, all around mm-hmm. the M25, these state-of-the-art offices. And, and what was what was uh, actually really revolutionary from a cultural perspective, that these multi-million pound offices were absolutely empty on a 
Thursday and Friday mm. when um, everyone migrated to the smallest, grottiest, oldest office in London near Holborn because that had the best pub next to it. And and all the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, that was much, much more important than anything shiny. And and I think that that's just a good point about you can – all the best laid plans you you need to adopt to human mm-hmm. culture and human culture wants to wants to uh, congregate and wants to socialize as well so it'd be interesting yeah. how that works out sam yeah the, that human contact that human connection is not going to go away it's going to be different we've got to see how that evolves and there's uh, as you talk about there as to how people behaved when given that option there's a another dynamic happening which is a shift to the idea of a flipped workplace which is more about the ability to facilitate, to coach, and to engage digitally, right? It's about um, connecting with people in in a way that really elicits engagement. I've worked and I've run an, an abundance of sessions where the feedback has been, wow, you've actually designed this for remote workers, for people who've been working in companies for 10 years. And it's the first time they've actually felt that this interaction wasn't just a traditional, dare I say, boring meeting. It's about being able to listen well and multitask, but you're not doing it from a place of doing multiple things. You're actually using all the signals to understand and interpret how well the team is understanding and digesting the information. So, for example, I'm not sure how many people have used the annotation function that some of these platforms have. I I do it in Zoom, which is the ability to get people to draw or to write or to mark, to vote, but to do something interactively on the screen. And that means you actually do less presenting. So if there's an hour meeting, you're doing less talking, you're actually soliciting a discussion and you're using audio and visuals to get the best out of people. So you, you really need to listen you really have to design the content for the audience for engagement it's less about what you want to tell them it's more about who you're talking to and how best to connect and engage with them it's about asking questions and having that set up to engage in discussion and be flexible and somewhat let go of control when you're connecting with people yeah i've tried that it's it's okay sam i think but uh, but uh, Again, I think people need to be educated on what to do and time to get to grips with it. I think over time, the use case will improve. Um, it's, it's not actually that intuitive at the moment, and many different demographics will need to get used to different ways of operating. Um, but uh, uh, So I think the tech still probably has got another iteration before mm-hmm. um, we can really be sort of, uh, you know, that happy with it. But a lot of remote working already works very well. Greater deep thinking time, better quality of life, as long as you can sort your bandwidth out at home, um, less commuting time leading to less overall pollution. And, and there's a new industry springing up around remote working or home working, which we'll talk about a bit later on. But that physical contact, the need to bring people together, that's irreplaceable. Or, or, or is it? Or do we just need to get used to it not being there? And and interestingly, that, that applies equally to the way we work as it does to the way we shop. Uh, you know, I was really interested. I read this article with um, um, the Tesco boss, David Lewis, Tesco um, grocery retailer in the UK um, and worldwide. Now, back in 2016, he ran a doomsday exercise to plan out how and if they could cope if their head office had to shut down completely. I mean, interestingly, he, he remarks that that was seen as a bit of a 
extreme example is like, well, what what scenario would mean that we would have to close down? Um, now, yeah, it sounds like great foresight now, doesn't it? Sort of thinking Absolutely. ahead. But thanks to that exercise, um, I think Tesco felt they were at least semi-prepared for remote working. For the last two years, they've been using Zoom to get staff together. And their, their headquarters normally has 6,500 workers, which I think is amazing. And it's now down to 30 people in their headquarters. Uh, but in the, interestingly, and I thought this was fascinating, obviously that's, that's stuff that they've done well in the past pre-planning. But in the article, he talks about how Tesco had to radically change what they did to operate the obvious ways in terms of retail presence, protective kits, physical distancing, one-way systems, which we, we all know now. But at the same time, it's also about how management teams have to adapt as well. And that although everyone is breaking records and meeting targets, they're mm-hmm. not still, still not meeting demand which is pretty amazing where they've uh, more than doubled, I think, the amount of sort of home delivery slots, 1.2 million they managed to get it up to, and now it's up to sort of 1.5 million. Um, but at the same time, you know, everyone's trying to provide greater capacity, but no one really knows what the habits are going to be of consumers mm-hmm. after the, the um, COVID-19 crisis is over and becomes a sort of distance memory. Well, Will it, they return back to previous habits or will new habits be born? And I wonder whether that's the same for employees as well, Sam. Well, from the employee perspective, I think I'm going to make that call, like a, one of those TV shows where they're going to call an election or call a result and just say, look, yes, this remote culture is going to stay stick around for a while. It's here to stay. There's a couple of factors that are really coinciding. And one of them is the safety concern, really, of going back to offices. And also in the last decade or two, there's been this backlash against open plan that's been built into a lot of office structures and office cultures. And in the US, it's already started with companies shifting their back to work model. So they're saying, okay, as we go back to work, over the long term, mid midterm actually to long term, we're going to do it differently. And in the US, Nationwide, which is a Fortune 100 insurance company, have said they're actually going to have smaller offices in locations where maybe there's a state mandate. They need to for sort of legal or um, other sort of reasons of um, management um, or you know, agreements that they have in place on a state-by-state basis. But ultimately, they're actually going to transition to a new hybrid model where they're going to have, I think, four or five corporate offices reduce down all the others and shift people, shift employees to a permanent remote working status and actually probably doing that without much say-so from those employees. So that's just a shift that a company is going to make before the end of 2020. And there's probably a cost saving, but there's going to be a huge cultural shift in doing that. The other challenge that's going on is really to enforce social distancing in the office without leasing new space. Companies are probably going to have to reduce the number of people in offices anyway. So that's something that's going to have to happen. About 70% of offices in the US are open plan. And so they're going to have to redesign those or design in how many people are there. And with this backlash I talked about, there's just been a lot of data and evidence saying, look, these open plans haven't been really 
productive, they have reduced productivity, they haven't actually delivered better collaboration. And in this new environment, there's probably going to have to put in more cubicles and private spaces and mitigation to prevent groups from, well, frankly, breathing on each other. You're going to have to have better materials, fixtures and furnitures, hygiene dispensers, and even air quality circulation now, those standards which um, are in place, they're probably going to be higher because employees are going to be scared and more concerned about it. And they're going to want certainty before they return. And in the building industry before the pandemic, they'd been there's been an evolution to a more human-centered environment, but there's more and more data and documentation and the industry really is vested in making an office environment better because there's lots of infrastructure and businesses in that sector that unless they design a better human experience, humans aren't going to want to go back to offices. Well, we should look to um, China, Sam, for an idea where this could lead and um, what leaders will have to cope with. Um, many of their decisions will be about creating better well-being for employees and customers alike. I mean, it, it's, it's fascinating. But there's a number of reports about this as well, picking up on some points you said. In 2019, it was reported that China's sort of air pollution levels were half of what they were in sort of 2014. But interestingly, there was a there was a report called "Every Breath We Take," which a nice, nice title there, which reported that twenty five percent of office buildings surveyed had worse air quality than the air outside, which I think is absolutely staggering. And as a result, in recent years, it's reported that office sales have decreased by about four percent in areas with high um, air pollution. And, and therefore, people are voting with their feet, which I think is fascinating. And actually, there's now a lot of companies, a lot of real estate um, and architects actually trying to address that. And again, China um, leading the way in terms of the response, looking at temperature checks at the start of every workday, allotted arrival times to reduce congestion in the elevators, limiting elevators into two people at a time separating employees into an A, B, A and a B team, each team alternating days spent in the office to limit density, um, larger distances between desks and one-way flow systems. So, so a huge number of sort of measures that have been taken sort of tactically, I suppose, with regards to sort of COVID-19. But at the same time, they're, they're addressing that sort of air filtration system and, and have been and have upgraded a lot of the um, air quality within their offices. But this, is, this isn't just a, this is an issue in the West as well. Um, clearly, business owners are legally obliged to ensure that they're offering well, um, workplace health and safety. Um, but a UK YouGov survey mm -hmm. reported that 70% of workers complain about poor air quality. And a third of workers surveyed a concern that indoor air quality is negatively impacting their health. You know, there's a there's a whole load of other stats, but but the bottom line is is that people believe that it's affecting their productivity and it is affecting their health. So so I'm interested, Sam. How will this affect us on a day to day basis and and our productivity and creativity? Well, Chris. That's a big question, and as we look forward, we should think about what 
changes are actually going to stay and stick with us in the way we work and the way we market in the future. And I can see a few, and I, I won't go into, there's like multiple lists out there, but one of the ones that I think is going to impact our physical and our cultural environment in the workplace, it's this 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 mantra of management by walking around, which is a, a phrase that Tom Peters, I think, was popularized and he claims in his 30 years of management, this is the one biggest idea he has, which is basically the simple premise of actually walking around and connecting with people in person. So this is not new. This is not a new thing. But as we return to offices, I think there's going to be a huge need for leaders to actually engage with people and, and to have that skill of build, building and cultivating those relationships now, obviously, in the digital form, how easy is it to get a CEO or senior leader or, for, for example, a CMO, for example, um, to do that well? I don't mean for them to be bombarded all hours of the day with messages, but I feel that there is a role for them to be able to access and engage in forums, be it blogs, videos, messaging, town halls, phone calls, making them selves available, having multiple ways of connecting with their reports, but also showing up with the wider organization. And it needs to be in an engaging kind of way. So that's one thing that leaders are going to have to continue to do. The other thing that's going to shift in how we work and we're going to demand a difference is that standard nine to five will become a thing of the past. The ability to just treat people as adults and masters of their own productivity and creativity one of the ideas I love and I'm seeing much more of these days is companies giving their employees stipends or money, basically, or reimbursements for equipping their home and turning it into a more productive office space. So you don't have to fear where the laptop stand is, people are getting extra keyboards and mice and screens and, and those types of things being sent to employees just to improve their productivity. For example, very specifically, there's a realization that you kind of need two screens. If you're in a remote session and you're trying to share your screen and present something, you actually need one screen perhaps to showing the people on the call and the other screen to actually manipulate. So these are the kind of basics now are shifting how you show up and how you operate at home. And the other thing I think is going to be around for a while is this movement to a shorter work week, this four-day work week is going to become even more needed as we see more and more data that people are actually working longer during the COVID environment. So now they're going to be demanding a shorter week and a, a, a different compensation to, to cover the fact that they're actually working longer and harder. Yeah, absolutely. Really good points there. Do, do you know what? I saw I saw an article where it basically said... Um, I bet you don't think that the cost of um, office chairs is is overpriced now, and and I <laughs> totally ident identify with that. Where you you suddenly after being sat on your dining room chair for about five weeks, you just think, oh my god, this is ridiculous. So yeah, equipping your office really really important. I've just invested in a stand up desk, hasn't arrived yet, but I'm thinking that will revolutionize it. And, and there's a whole new set of customer needs to be met. Again, out of one crisis becomes an opportunity. There's a new market being created here. Desk treadmill, Sam, I'm not sure whether that's up your street or not. But, um, but again, they're seeing quite a lot of demand. There's a, there's a nice review from a lady called Rachel Krantz from Bustle, who tried out treadmill desk for a month and, and wrote about it. And, mm -hmm. and actually talking about how it stopped her um, dreading going into the office. It made her feel less claustrophobic. Um, she felt that she was actually sort of claiming her life back um, a lot more. And um, 
and some really, really positive stuff. Again, uh, you know, it's horses for courses, isn't it? Some people talked about increased energy and that working. And of course, you're helping achieve that 10,000 steps a tar- day target. But other people finding it a bit distraction, getting a little bit sweaty in their, their work outfit and the like, which are, you know, horses for courses. And it, and it's not just um, treadmills. There's obviously the death cycles as well. But fascinatingly, I don't think there's as much interest in death cycling as there is on um, treadmill. But guaranteed that both of those will go through a few iterations as they come. And And the one thing that sort of strikes me about all of this is, Already, there is a combination of focus on well-being of employees as well as seeing new opportunities from a commerce perspective. So, yeah, lots to look out for, I suppose. You're hitting the nail on the head there, Chris, in terms of the shift in what actually matters and this health and well-being now now is becoming even more. So we've talked about air quality and the physical environment. The ability to have a, a standing desk is no longer something that's for the elite or the senior leaders. It's just seen as being something that helps me do my job and helps me do it well. And other forces that are in play that I think are going to lead us to a better place is that the forces that will push the workplace to become more equitable ultimately what we're going to be doing more of now is collaborating connecting to drive a problem with a solution and then we're trying to come up with ways to implement a decision that's already been made and so there's more emphasis on facilitation sessions and creative sprints that allow us to really to drive business growth versus in prior the standard meeting where a boring powerpoint is used to send people to sleep that should be on its way out because in this shift to remote work if all you're doing is back to back to back remote meetings what ultimate productivity is happening and that is being questioned more and more there's obviously a resisting force to to this and the decline in face-to-face interactions may mean there's a risk for the elite that those at the headquarters the physical space may actually have more connectivity and and more presence um and Equally, though, with this more distributed workforce and that mindset, there's more opportunity for these remote groups to actually connect using the technology, using chat, using messenger, using video. They actually have more resources available and it's designed into the operations of the company. I think the other thing which is going to be very powerful is this collaboration in the cloud. It's very, very significant in terms of who gets credit and who does work in secret or in public. There's going to be a mindset shift of true collaboration and being more transparent. And that should start to show up in the culture because there's going to be more balancing between synchronous and asynchronous communication. So there's no divide between who gets the information and who doesn't. And there's going to have to be more planning and consideration. So it's orchestrated in a way that everyone receives the information, everyone gets the recognition, and everyone can participate, whether you're in Australia or in America for the same company. Now that stuff is becoming more important, and you're going to have to figure out how to do it in a fair way for everyone, not just the single headquarters located in one country or in one state. Uh, yeah, I like that. That's almost like the blockchain for recognition, isn't it? So tracking the recognition through from start to end, and and how you um, how you identify that. So Sam, I mean, look at the time. It's just gone really quickly today. Um, amazing, really. Uh, I think there's so much more to talk about in this subject. But for now, why don't you give us a three key takeouts of this session? Absolutely. Takeout number one, I believe, is that. 
we have to face the fact that the shift is here to stay. The percentage of remote working will increase and it will continue to increase. Secondly, you've got to start to think, we've all got to start to think about how we stand out as an employee, how do we get our point across and continue to get the recognition and the rewards for our work. And then thirdly, people are going to be voting with their feet. Employees and customers and consumers are shifting their behavior. So the question is, how are you going to adapt? Yeah, brilliant, Sam. I think Episode 36 is going to be fascinating. You're back to that CEO who's new in managing the business in lockdown. What do they do? The junior manager trying to make a mark. How do you tackle this? Um, and re- you know, honestly, I think well-being will be the name of the game. Financial well-being, customer well-being, employee well-being. So all areas that we'll be exploring in the, the next session. Number 36, Sam. Great. You've teed up the next show perfectly, Chris. Super excited about that. And as always, putting us both to work to get that research in. So until next week, Chris, have a great week across the pond. Well, that's it for this week's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Find more by visiting marketingtransform.com and click on the subscribe link. If you listen via Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud or anything else, then click on follow, subscribe or type Marketing Transformed into search. We're a new show, so please leave us a review, comment or ask a question. We'd love to hear from you. Get in touch at marketingtransformedshow at gmail.com.